So you leave for Italy on Wednesday. What are you most excited about doing, seeing? Yeah, my parents will come over, we'll go down to Chicago, and then we'll fly out of Chicago into Toronto and, and then into Italy. So Nice. I mean, I'm almost most excited about the food. <laughs> totally. Welcome to Delivering Extra, a podcast dedicated to setting your brand apart. Here we talk with industry experts on building brands, growing teams, and positioning companies toward the remarkable. I'm your host, David Ezel, and I'm the founder of The Lanyap Group, a branding and marketing agency for high-growth companies. We creatively and strategically craft brands that attract the spotlight. And I'm Nicole Panic Girl, graphic designer and co-host. To learn more about working with us, head to thelanyapgroup.com to schedule a free consult. In today's episode, we chat with Omid Shams and Michael Gibson of Quest, an augmented reality gaming platform that enhances the world around us through choose-your-own-adventure-style experiences. Thanks for having us. And then I just had a quick question. So, N- Nicole, you're in, you're in Michigan? I am. Whereabouts? In up in Traverse City. Oh, nice. I have a, a lot of family in Elk Rapids. Do you really? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Terra Firma Brewing Company in Traverse City. Um, that's my partner's uncle. It's right across the street. It's our favorite brewery. Uh, that is that is my my partner's uncle. Mike is one of the lead investors there, and Charlie no Kinsell is a family friend. Yeah, that is hilarious. Yeah, we just moved up here last summer from Grand Rapids. We were living down there for probably fifteen years or something. I went to and, school in Kalamazoo. Uh, did you? Yeah, I was at Western. That's awesome. I had to go to GVSU a lot, so I like Grand Rapids. There's a really good brewery there too. Um, Tons of good breweries. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but there's there's one. It's like in an old converted church. Vivant. Yes. Yes. Oh, I love them. Yeah. Very good. That's very cool. I remember when they opened that because that main bar still has like the chapel or the steeple thing behind it. Yep. Yep. Kind of feel like you're going to worship when you're drinking a beer. (laughs) I mean, basically. Yeah. Same thing. David, do, yeah. we start, do we need to start talking about Dallas stuff so we have that connection too? Is that- <laughs> oh, yeah. I almost wore my Michigan hoodie today, and I decided just to go with my yellow and blue. <laughs> That's awesome. Dallas is way bigger than Traverse City, so. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Most of the breweries in Texas are outside Austin. Like, that's where, like, Jester King and, like, Jailbreak are, right? Uh, yeah, I know Grand Rapids is, like, Beer City- like it's been winning that title now for a little while, yeah, but Traverse City's—it's like officially Beer City USA or something like yep. that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Founders is based there, which is huge. They distribute all over the world. Yep. Um, let's see. New Holland is right in Holland, Michigan, straight west of Grand Rapids. Um, Bell's is in Kalamazoo. That's another really big one. Um, there's Terra Firma up in Traverse. There's the Traverse City Whiskey Company. There's Streetcar Eighty Two. Um, yeah, I mean, like, really, it's because really brewing just comes down to the water. And when you're Michigan and you have four of the five Great Lakes, there's a lot of water. Yeah, they just built that new uh, Knickerbocker facility for New Holland right in GR. Yeah, That's amazing. yeah, their their new dist- their new distribution facility. It's huge, massive. Yeah, yeah, and it's on a really cool street too. Mm-hmm. We have Deep Ellum, so. <laughs> <take that. laughs> Boom. But yes. David's like, I will not be one up. <laughs> so 
if you would, um, just tell us a little bit about, more about maybe some of the backstory. Tell us kind of where you guys are now. Um, I'm on the list to get the beta and that's, you know, I know you guys are right there in that. So tell me what's going on. Yeah. So actually, before I start with the story, the, we released our, the first part of the beta experience. Um, nice. We're calling our at-home demo. And so you can actually download that now. It's available on both iOS and Android. So if you did sign up to the list, or if, even if you sign up, I believe through this next month for our list, then we'll still be able to get that link to you. Yeah. Um, so I guess starting a little bit in terms of our, our origin story, right? Where we came from and kind of where the vision started. So this was back in late 2014, early 2015. Um, I was attending a grad program here at, at the University of Texas at Dallas. And, you know, basic entrepreneurship class. Uh, didn't think, you know, really anything of it. I, I've never really been a big fan of, of kind of institutional education in terms of teaching entrepreneurship. Uh, but in this class, we have this simple exercise. Hey, come up with a business idea, go in front of the class, pitch it. Uh, and then you form teams. Once you build those teams, you effectively work on this idea um, and try to kind of follow the lean startup methodology um, throughout the course. So uh, my co-founder at the time was the one who had pitched the idea. Um, I had latched onto it. And so long story short, we kind of took that and turned it into something quote unquote real. And so the original vision uh, stemmed from this, this lack of, of understanding, I guess, maybe is the best word I can use that there were actually things to do in Dallas, right? So everyone was always like, oh, there's nothing to do in Dallas. You go shopping, you eat. When really, you know, what we were seeing, and I think what a lot of people who really know Dallas saw was that there was a lot of culture that was sprouting and it was becoming very eclectic, right? So you mentioned Deep Ellum earlier, Bishop Arts, all these neighborhoods sprouting up. So we said, okay, there, there's, there's all this great um, culture that, that, that's growing here, but there's nothing to really um, not only tell people where to go, but kind of engage them once they're there. So we came up with this concept of building this blend between uh, a scavenger hunt game and guided tour that would not only curate the best places for you to go, but also essentially um, engage you and, and gamify it while you're there. And so we ended up calling it Quest. Uh, we launched our first platform in mid-2016. And so it started here in Dallas and uh, people would download the app. They would select a curated adventure that they wanted to go on. So they were built around these neighborhoods like Bishop Arts and Deep Ellum and the Arts District. And so we would launch you out onto this walking adventure. You'd be solving riddles and puzzles and clues that guided you from place to place. And then we would also partner with these local retailers where you could kind of complete challenges to earn discounts and free swag. So yeah, so that was the first iteration of Quest. Again, kind of just tackling this mission of giving people a better way to explore. Um, then fast forward about a year, year and a half, you know, we were growing, we were in a couple cities, we were generating revenue. People loved our experiences. Um, what ended up happening though is, is, you know, as, as I think many startups go through, we kind of ended up, I'll say following the money, um, and settling into kind of this niche little market where we were working with a lot of venues and events. So we were working with reunion tower and the Dallas zoo and, and these breweries, right? So doing these different launches and amazing races and, and so we ended up kind of settling into really the event and venue business and, and creating these digital scavenger hunts or amazing races for them. And so, you know, I, when you took a step back and you kind of zoomed out and we said, okay, like this was our original vision, this grand, you know, this grandiose, like we want to be global. We want to give people a better way to explore the world, not explore a museum or a zoo. Um, so we started to reevaluate the direction we were going in, um, decided to, as hard as it was, to actually pull the plug on the old platform 
reevaluate what we were doing and rebuild in this new direction so we could stay true to that original vision. Um, so that's when I, this was, I believe early 2017 or maybe mid 2017. So this is when I brought on Michael, um, started building the new team and effectively executing on this new direction. So, you know, the vision and the mission really remains constant, but now the, the, the nature in which we're delivering the experience is completely different. It's more scalable. Uh, and so with this new quest, we're calling it quest 2.0 internally. Um, it's all centered around now storytelling. So we throw out this concept of the digital scavenger hunt, and now we present this uh, storytelling uh, adventure that's all delivered through audio, through augmented reality, through all this different tech, right? Um, and so I'll probably kind of lay the foundation here, and then I want to let Michael chime in a little bit because I'm talking a lot. Um, so with, with this new quest, the user opens the app, and they get to select a world to immerse themselves within. So think of worlds as different story worlds we know and love today. So your Alice in Wonderland, your Game of Thrones, your Lord of the Rings, right? So things that you would engage or consume in a book, a TV show, a movie, an audiobook. So we take these existing worlds you know and love, and now we're giving you effectively this new um, experience or this new medium to re-engage in this world. So I, I select Wonderland, um, and it essentially drops me into the story the city now becomes my setting, so it's still a location-based adventure, and I'm going out and I'm engaged in kind of this multi-sensory experience. So there's narrative that's being delivered through audio and through text on the screen. Uh, everything is choice-driven, meaning all the choices I make are impacting what happens in my adventure, but also the places that I'm visiting along the way in my city. Uh, and then, of course, we're using augmented reality in a very big way to then bring everything to life visually. So as opposed to just listening and looking at text, I'm talking with the Cheshire Cat in Wonderland, or I'm disarming a bomb in a spy theme. And so you kind of have all these different worlds being brought to life visually through AR and allowing the users to engage along the way. So what's, what's kind of next? Like I, I know, like you mentioned, you're, you're, we're kind of in the beta stage right now, kind of taking that next iteration and those next steps. What's, what's the next thing on the horizon? You know, I mentioned uh, kind of right when we kicked off here that that, that at-home beta is out. So this is kind of the launch of our beta experience. Mm -hmm. um, our goal is, you know, so just like many other startups who, you know, who follow this lean startup methodology, right, of like, you want to get an MVP out. This is effectively our MVP, right? Now, what, what, what most people on the surface won't see is that we've spent a lot of time and effort and energy over the past year and a half to really build a solid foundation for the platform. So although the consumers are getting kind of this MVP experience or a taste of quest, we're actually much further along from a tech and platform standpoint. So we have this wonderful foundation laid out. We have the, a taste of our experience kind of delivered. And so now our goal is to continue kind of getting feedback from our beta experience group. And so that's growing and Michael can talk through that is we, we grow this beta experience group. We continue to kind of do these micro releases leading up to our full release, get feedback and kind of iterate along the way. And so those iterations aren't necess necessarily happening on the tech side. Cause that's, you know, that's in a great spot. Um, now it's all about production. So we want to make sure that we're producing the worlds and the stories and the engagements that our audience wants. And that's kind of, I think, what the next probably four to six months is going to look like leading up to our full release this year. Yeah, you, you almost have to look at it as, as like a modular toy. You know, you know for instance, it, it goes back to the, the, the grade school fight, like what's better, Lego or Connects? 
Um, and, and I look at our, our tech team and our development team as, as the kids who are like super about connects because like you can build anything out of it. It's very structural. It's very architectural. Um, but it's, it's, it's wireframing. Like it's, it's this, it's this implied design. It's this implied product. Um, whereas with Lego, you get like, it's, it's much more tangible. It's more solid. It feels, it feels more robust. Now, now you can build something incredible with both, but the production side, which is the storytelling, the narrative development, the the graphics, the the way that it's presented, the way people interact with it, that's the Lego side. So we've spent a lot of time and energy building a huge set of Connects toys, and now we're going to start putting out the Lego skin around them. So like we have a really good foundation that we're starting to put this this more robust, solid veneer on top of um, and that's where the narrative side of it comes in and you guys have mentioned a lot of <clears throat> with with this new kind of direction it's a lot more on storytelling and really delivering that feel and you also mentioned more of your team and things of that nature um so what does your team look like now i mean when it comes to as we all know when it comes to growth you know that's the hardest part sometimes is making sure that your team is all on board with that final overarching mission and strategy you know i mean what what does your team look like now is it is it you guys i mean is it do you guys have other people that you're working with or how is how's that kind of structured yeah sure um michael you want me to take this one yeah yeah go ahead awesome um yeah so our team right now is about oh i think as of a couple weeks ago about 14 people um we just brought on one or two new folks this last month um we are a completely global team so fully remote um which I think a lot of folks in the startup world, especially if you subscribe to kind of the traditional Silicon Valley mindset is taboo or no, no. Um, but you know, as, as challenging as it is sometimes uh, we have not only made it work, I think we've thrived because of it. Um, you know, you talk about, sure. There are a lot of challenges that come with managing a remote team, but we have been 100% bootstrapped to date. This is since we conceptualized the first iteration of quest. Um, and managing a team and, and growing a team and executing with a team of 14 people for most is, uh, it's expensive, right? But I think we've been able to uh, keep things very, very realistic in terms of burn for the last year, year and a half. Whereas most, if not, yeah, I'd say most other startups probably in a similar position would not have been able to. This is something I really pride us on. Uh, I, yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm very proud of the team we have built um, in terms of everyone is brilliant, they're passionate. We have we have perspectives from all around the globe, which is great, and we're able to do things really realistically in terms of a um, a manageable burn. And that's been able that's allowed us to be able to I think build this platform for the last year and a half, whereas most other startups would have died. Right. So kind of where we are today is we have this team of fourteen. I would say about four or five are tech focused, so that's our tech team. Um, the other I'd say four or five are all production focused. So Michael mentioned earlier, your narrative, your 3D pipeline. So this includes art, modeling, um, uh, rigging, you know, texturing. So all the jazz when it comes to 3D, we have an audio designer. So there's a huge audio component, right? So music, sound effects, voice, voice acting. Um, and then I'd say the last kind of two or three are like more so on Michael's side of the equation, um, which is more of the market facing. So, you know, both Michael and then we have a digital marketer as well, Emily, um, and then I think UI UX is probably the last thing I missed out there. So that's kind of how the team is structured. I'd say if you look at it from an outside in perspective, 
a lot of people would look at us as we're kind of built like a game studio. Um, you know, it's, you know, we're, we're structured from a resource standpoint to build a game because at our, at our core, that's what the experience is. Um, but I think it, you know, for those of us who understand our true vision and who will look at us maybe a year or two years down the road, um, we're much more than just a gaming studio. And we are trying to build something that's much more than that in terms of a brand. Yeah, we, we exist in this weird central point. Like if, if Quest were in a Venn diagram and you had tech companies over here, game studios over here, and like skunk works and academics over here, we're like dead in the middle because the, the things that bring people to Quest to join the team, it, it ranges from a passion for storytelling and like creating moments of magical realism, which is what brought me on, to people who are really, really devoted to like pushing the boundaries of technology and creating new methodology for like creating rigging and animations and engagements for AR. And so that you've got like sort of these guys that come in and they're, they're basically treating Quest like a skunk works. Like, oh, we, we, we don't care what the end result is. We just really want to, we just want to push the boundaries of how people engage with augmented reality. And then you have the, the other side where it's just like, no, no, we're really focused on creating like um, a robust, but in, in engaging platform and like, and, and turning this into a, a really powerful tool for transmedia stories telling and so I, I think we have this perfect confluence of all three of those things fit together so beautifully when you just have one or the other but when you have all three together you get this weird decentralized distributed team um, that's that's making quest and and I, I don't think it would work if we didn't have these exact people and we didn't have this exact mission um, and 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 the baseline platform to have worked from I feel like it's like really nice to hear somebody whose team is so everyone's working remotely with each other and do that you have such a positive I don't know viewpoint on culture I feel like that's the biggest argument usually against having remote employees and David and I are obviously across the country from each other and most of our clients are in different states from where we are and I don't feel like it hinders our ability to do good work for them ever is is culture one of those things that you guys kind of kind of stress seeing as how there are 14 of you and they're in different places and kind of like you mentioned there are some people that are really focused on pushing a boundary in a certain medium but there are three others that are focused on this is our goal and this is what our outcome is we can't have outliers that are maybe kind of going off in their own direction when it's not you know a means to an end for the common goal Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's it's been really it's been really fantastic to have Omid be willing to let me sort of help take the lead and and sort of take charge in pushing sort of what our company culture is going to be and how we interact with each other and interact with our users. Um, for me, culture is in, in infinitely important. Like I've, I've been in really toxic work environments. I've been in work environments that seem to think that a foosball table and a keg in the office equals company culture. And, and I think really what the difference is, is that early on, Omid and I had a discussion in which um, I said, you know, I, I want to get away from this idea of humans as resources. I want to respect our, our coworkers as people, and I want to respect our users and our customers as intelligent, as intelligent humans. 
Um, you know, I, I, I firmly believe that people are smart enough to understand when they're being sold to. So all of our marketing is specifically geared around respecting people and engaging with them in a way that we would like to be engaged with. Our internal meetings are very communication driven. We start by asking people to fill us in on like what their emotional status is. Like when we're dealing with a sprint, our developers know that they can come to those meetings and calls and say, look, I'm feeling really burned out. I just need a day. Like I've been, I've been running six or seven straight sleepless nights. I'm really feeling good about where we are, but I have to take a break and and they don't worry about bringing that to us they know they can communicate their needs and we're there to help provide support to, to help split apart the workload to help bring other people into the network to make sure that that they're not burning themselves out because I feel like with any tech company especially one in emerging technology like transmedia or augmented reality there's this churn and burn methodology of going well there's always another developer there's always another rigor there's always another animator and we don't want that to happen we want these people that we've brought on to really feel like they can trust us and trust Quest to take care of them and respect them as people. So for me, and, and I know for Amit as well, culture is so important for us because we're still bootstrapped, because we're still so small, we want to make sure we hold on to that as we grow. And, and that for me is, is a huge focus. We were, we were having this exact conversation before we sat down with you guys, you know, just and I know that ours is a little bit more customer facing. So it's meetings and follow-ups and making our in clients feel like we're right next door, even if we're two time zones over. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and yours is so much more than just that focus because it's multiple people in multiple places working on tech, animation, storytelling, all of that, and keeping the culture going. I mean, is there any, is there any kind of, like what was your biggest kind of hurdle whenever it was kind of, you know, trying to set that kind of thing up or did it kind of really flow naturally just based on the people that you guys assembled? I, I think our, our, our biggest hurdle and in, in, at least from a cultural standpoint is over committing. Um, I, I think everybody is so excited about what we're doing and is, is so driven to like put something out and to have it be done that we have run into a few situations where a couple of the developers have gone two or three days without rest or our, you know, some of our production team is, is going, you know, I'm, I'm cranking out this art, but I don't feel like it's good enough. But like, I, I, I don't know what else to do and like this worry and this stress. And it, it, it builds up, you know, from, from time to time. And, and being decentralized, it's a little difficult because, you know, I don't have the ability to look at my, um, my marketing team and see when they're tired. I don't, you know, Omid doesn't have the ability to look across a table in a conference room and, and look at our, our lead designer and see that he hasn't slept. Um, and so it's, it was really difficult initially when everybody was over committing um, to create a foundation where everyone felt comfortable communicating those needs. Um, at least from my end, that's where the biggest hurdle was. Um, I don't know if Amid saw anything different, but, but to me, that was definitely it. It's like getting to a point where people felt safe saying, no, I can't do that. Um, and knowing that that would be respected and that we would talk to them about it. You know, when, when you're in a crunch, when you're doing a sprint and someone says, no, I can't, the follow-up question is, okay, what can you do? And like, how can we resolve this? Um, but I think everyone sort of assumed initially that it was going to be a, well, no, you have to, you don't have a choice. Um, and now I feel like there's a really good pipeline and a good back and forth. Yeah, it's, it's definitely been evolutionary. Um, there, there's a, there's an internal joke Michael and I have, and, and I'll make it an external one. 
Yeah. And it's that, that, I, that I'm the brains and he's the heart of the company. <laughs> and it's not that I don't have heart or he doesn't have brains, but I definitely operate much more on one end of the spectrum, whereas Michael operates on the other. And you absolutely need both. Um, yeah. You know, before Michael came on, you know, it was myself. And when I initially rebuilt the team for Quest 2.0, it was tech focused, right? We had to build the foundation and the platform before anything else. So you have Omid, who's incredibly rational, uh, very rationally driven. Um, the, you know, thinking more with the brain, um, not leading with the heart. And then you have a bunch of techies, right? So naturally our culture was so different than it is now. Um, so, so different. Everything was cut and dry and there wasn't any sharing of emotions and, you know, quite frankly, and this is my, you know, this, I'm sharing something from my personal entrepreneurial journey was up until probably late last year or maybe mid last year, I didn't value emotional intelligence at all. And you're hearing this word now used a lot more uh, in the startup ecosystem and there's a lot more value being put on EQ. And I personally did not, I, I thought emotion was weakness when it came to business. That's how I was raised. Um, that's how I operated with my old company. Uh, and so, you know, I started, you know, hiring on more of the production team when we brought on Michael, I would say, you know, naturally, and this is maybe just a, uh, maybe I'm generalizing here, but I feel like creatives operate a lot more with, with heart. Um, and, and, and they tend to be more of the emotionally intelligent human beings that, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I noticed that when we started building the production team and then brought Michael on, naturally you started to see that culture shift a little bit. And it kind of went from like super rational and emotional down here. It's like, all right, we're slowly starting to find that. And, and then, you know, me saying, okay, and talking with Michael and, and learning from him, saying, okay, like how can we implement better practices from the top down um, or really across the board? And, 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 you know, that's doing the things like the feeling wheel during our team meetings. Um, and that slowly started to level out. And I think that's where it was a process, right? Um, it wasn't forced. You know, part of it was kind of, I think, organic. And the other part was, okay, like what can we do um, to now help kind of just put more fuel in the fire, right? How can we make this, how can we make them feel like this is more comfortable and safe? And I think the easiest way to probably put it is let's, let's turn this into something that feels like a family more than anything else. And I think we're getting really, really close. You know, we're not perfect, but I think we're getting really close. Yeah, there, there was never a moment where we told the team like, all right, now here's your ticket to get aboard the USS mandatory oh. fun. You're going to have to do this. It's um, I, I think it's, I, I, I agree with Omid. It's a balancing act. And I, I think, I don't know that we've maybe reached the, the end of wherever that shift is going to take us. I do know that I feel like we're in a really good place. And I, I know that everybody feels very happy and very safe as part of the team. Um, and to me, that's important. But on the, on the flip side, I know that thanks to Omid and, and thanks to the development team that everyone also understands what our metrics are. We, we have really established, robust KPIs that we track. We have goals. We have deadlines. You know, we, we have these hard stops and, and code checks and bug fixes that, that we're able to get through. Um, and, and we move at a very accelerated pace. You know, it's, it's really great where, you know, I can say, hey, I want to do this experiment with microfiction on Twitter. And Omid goes, I don't really understand it, but give it a shot. And if we see people are responding, then we'll figure out how to proceed. We take the shot, people respond to it. And Omid goes, okay, let's figure out what our goals are and let's establish what the timeline is going to be. And then you go and have fun and write lots of really oddly dark <laughs> Twitter posts. And I go, sweet. 
And so we set the KPIs, we set our goals, we know who we want to talk to. And I sit there and I go, and then they died. And, you know, and, and everybody goes, yay. It's like nihilism. Yeah, class. exactly. Like nihilism Twitter. Like we really got involved in that in February for our micro fiction campaign. It was just like, I didn't mean to write another story about aliens killing everyone. But that's what happened. That's what we got. And people like <laughs> Um, but Omid really encourages that. But like, it's, it's, it's good because I go, hey, we have all these ideas and we're really excited. And Omid goes, great, but what's the goal? And it makes everyone step back and sort of understand where they fit in the ecosystem and, and like understanding that there has to be an objective to what we do. And I think that's the balance that works very well for us. Yeah, you know, and I think really because you guys have kind of put that emphasis on your culture to start and you've kind of noticed that tipping point from you know, Uber tech side to actually kind of bringing in some more of some of the, the personal feel so that you can have that balance. That's also going to be able to help as you guys continue to hire, because now it's, this is what our family is like. This is what our culture is like. These are the people who work here. And it makes, it makes them to see if that's what they're looking for in a company as well, as opposed to just saying, Hey, here's the project we're working on. It's going to be fun. You're going to learn a lot of stuff, work with some super smart people. But now it's like, hey, this is also how we work together. This is, you know, and like I said, I mean, I feel like you guys are doing a lot of the heavy lifting now, which is going to pay off dividends in the future when you, when you do hit that, maybe that next growth mode and you're ready to hire 20 new people, 30 new people, you've already got some kind of different things established and it's not, now we have a staff of 50, oh crap, we forgot about culture and nobody talks to each other and we have people burned out. But it's it's not new, right? I mean, like right. people people have been, you know, all the way up in Harvard Business School. Like, what's one of the first things you learn is like happy employees are more productive and <laughs> and they do better work. It's like I, I don't know when that got disconnected in the tech world. Like when we got into this idea of we have to work ourselves to death, we have to you know go from sprint to sprint to sprint, never realizing that that the core component of what makes a successful business is people having buy in. People People understanding that they're a part of a larger team. They're not just a tool. Um, and, and I don't know when that shift happens, but like to me, this just seems like the most basic thing in the world. If I'm happy and Omid is happy and the people we're working with are happy, we're going to do better work because we have that passion driving us. Whereas opposed if we just feel like we're just pushing buttons to get money, you know, at a certain point you get bored and, and you don't innovate anymore. So I don't know. It's just weird that like, We've talked about this with a few people before, like we sort of walked through where, where, where we are and what our processes are, and, and everybody has the same reaction, like, oh, that's great, you're setting yourselves up for success. And Omid and I kind of look at each other and go, it doesn't seem that novel, but uh, for some reason in emerging technology, it's just like, well, if you don't hate yourself and work to death, you're not doing a real job. And, and I, I like where we're at instead. Yeah, I mean, and it's just intentionality. You know, mm -hmm. making sure that it is something that goes across your mind and that you are putting something forward, which, like I said, you guys are, and that's great. Um, so is there anybody else out there that, whether they're kind of in the AR space or not, um, is there anybody else that's kind of that's kind of killing it, you know, that you guys are kind of, doesn't even have to be in your space, just other companies, other emerging, maybe we can rep some Dallas people here so that Michigan's not getting love <laughs> in this podcast, but... Uh, these days, I, I think it's probably, we're probably more analogous to Netflix in terms of who we want oh. to emulate, right? Yeah, I, th I think it depends on what angle you look at it, right? So I think, you know, Michael had mentioned this earlier, we're at this, you know, this, this intersection of this Venn diagram um, of all these different types of experiences and companies and, 
you know, because we're, we're innovating, right? And when you're innovating, it's hard to say we're exactly like someone else when we're trying to be different than everyone else. But at the same time, yeah, I think, you know, if you look at it from, from the, the storytelling angle um, or the platform standpoint, yeah, you can draw a great parallel to Netflix. Um, you know, me personally, when we started this, we had our eyes on Niantic from the beginning. Um, if you look at the market, when we enter the space, we are, we are effectively entering into this location-based gaming space. The one experience that everyone knows and loves and they've set the bar is Pokemon Go, right? And we use this as a parallel a lot when we talk to consumers and partners. We say, hey, look, we're Pokemon Go, but X, Y, and Z. And so it just establishes a really nice, well-known baseline. So it would be stupid to not keep an eye on them. It would be stupid to not um, uh, accept the fact that they have dominated thus far. There have been other players in the market. A lot of people don't know that you know, Jurassic World has released an AR experience. Um, uh, Walking Dead has released an experience, right? So between like- Game of Thrones just put one out at South by Southwest. Yeah, so you have these other brands and, and they're doing similar things, but nothing innovative where they're just, they're, they're, it's a copy paste model. Let's take, a, let's take a popular licensed brand or franchise that we already own. Let's partner with a gaming studio and let's just create another Pokemon Go game. And sure, they've done well um, in terms of revenue, but they're doing nothing, nothing new. And, you know, in fact, some of them are now facing the same challenges that Telltale faced with, um, they burn way too much money. And so, you know, we're coming in, we're like, we're keeping an eye on everyone in the market. If I had a North Star, like, yeah, I want to look at Niantic. In fact, I do have an internal and I won't share who's on it. I have an internal list. I call my copy that list. Um, and it has a list of our competitors and what I love that each of them do. And I want to either, so in my list, it says, are we doing this or are we doing it better? Um, and so, yes, there is, there is that sense of, uh, of awareness, but, but I, yeah, but I like to be careful in terms of like, you know, do we want to be exactly like them or exactly like them? No, we don't. We want to be different. I, I have a copy list as well for marketing, but it's just Wendy's and Sue the T-Rex on Twitter. And that's it. That's the whole list. Wendy's is awesome on Twitter. Yeah. But, but to, 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 to wrap back around to the culture thing, the, the woman who started Wendy's social media strategy on Twitter got burned out and actually had a nervous breakdown and had to leave that role. She wrote a huge thing about it, about how she felt like she overcommitted. And because she couldn't tell anyone she was doing that, she had to leave. And now the company is, is reaping the dividends of somebody putting themselves into a project and feeling unappreciated. So that, for me, that's why Wendy's is the only entry. Like, and sue the T-Rex, just because I know the person who does that for the Field Museum. They're, they're an amazing creative. Um, but for me, that's something I always want to look at. You know, when, when we're asking people to commit and to pour part of their soul into what they're giving us, um, I, I want to make sure people feel appreciated and don't get burned out. But like, I also have a, a similar list of just like, this is who we want to emulate, but we also want to look at as a case study on what not to do sometimes. And, and I know Omid has that as well. It's like copy that, but also let's be careful over here. Um, and, and I think having both of those helps us sort of position in the market. Process-wise, when you're facilitating like these different culture aspects, so if you're trying to get an idea of what someone's emotional status is, what kind of programs are you using to stay in touch with people and to really stay on top of that? Yeah. So, so right now I have two, we'll talk high level because a lot of little things that happen behind the scenes. Um, one, every single month we have a team wide meeting. Um, this team wide meeting is focused on everyone zoom out to a 30,000 foot view. Let's talk about vision. Let's talk about where we are, where we're going, what we've accomplished, what we're going to accomplish. So things like that. 
but it all starts with this, this practice we call the feeling wheel, right? And I think Michael and I both referenced it earlier. Um, we're now on our third or fourth meeting where we've done this. And it's funny because it started out where no one wanted to share feelings. And now we're at a point where like our most like in the closet dev, like in terms of like, I want to keep all my emotions locked up and he's now sharing. And it's been amazing. And so the, the whole premise of the feeling wheel, and I'm happy to share it with both of you, um, is it's just this wheel of emotions. Uh, you don't have to choose something on the wheel, but it's there to kind of evoke a response and you get to pick. So everyone takes their turn. It's all voluntary. So I'll say, you know what, guys, I'm going to go first. Um, I'm feeling uh, nervous, proud, and um, excited, right? So I get to pick two, three, four, however many emotions I want. I can leave it there and just stop, or I can get into detail on why I'm feeling those things. Um, and it's a really, really great exercise. I think it's just a nice way to one, kind of break the ice for the meeting, but also just overall um, to check in with each other and, and, and let everyone know how everyone else is feeling, right? And this could be related to Quest and, and the company or the product. This could be personal. It can be whatever you want. Um, and I personally think it's helped drive not only the direction and, and, and like drive constructive meetings, which is thinking about it from a more rational standpoint, but I think it's just helped us build relationships um, and, and find common connection, right? People are struggling with the same things in their personal life. Um, people are feeling the same way about Quest. Uh, and maybe two people feel a certain way and they want to talk about it. Or one person's feeling really scared and the other person's feeling really excited. And so maybe they can help balance each other out. And it's, I think it's, it's helped tremendously. So that's kind of what we do as a group. Um, another thing that I started doing, I think around the same time, because I learned all these things from actually from an EQ coach um, that I was going to. The other practice I started putting into place is just one-on-one -on -one check-ins once a month. Um, these are not performance reviews, like um, is standard in most corporate cultures. This is very much so just a one-on-one -on -one check in. How are you doing? Um, how are you feeling outside of Quest? Um, you know, what can I do better as a leader? What can we do better? What can you do better? And kind of just having those open conversations. This is essentially the platform where anyone, if they want to share something one-on-one -on -one with me, then they have the platform to do that. And we've had some good ideas come from those too. Like, because one of the key components is like, what do you want to do? Like, have, have you had anything show up or have you had any ideas that you want to pursue with a little bit more support and some resources? And we've had some things that have turned into actual campaigns on the market side. Um, we've had some art shifts on the production side. We, we completely scrapped our original backend for our augmented reality engagements and built a completely brand new one that to the best of my knowledge is, completely unique in the ecosystem like we're we're actually building like revolutionary engagement technology because one of our developers went I have an idea and and it's just like in those moments enables us to sort of think outside what we're currently doing because inspiration can happen anywhere and and it's helping make the technology better um, as well as making our relationships better and I think that's the core like if we were just trying to be touchy-feely, this would be a daycare, not a business. Um, you know, but I, I think because we encourage people to be people, but then bring their best engagements and bring their best talents forward is, is enabling us to build bleeding-edge AR tech. Um, and, and within the back-end systems we have with our system that, that, that is going to help drive some of these engagements, um, we wouldn't have it if we didn't have those one-to-one -one communications.
that had to be a crazy decision to just scrap what you guys were doing and move forward with something completely different. I was so confused when Omid told me <laughs> that we were doing that. Yeah, it, it's something that's happened on more than one occasion. I mean, on the, on, the, on the largest scope, we scrapped the whole first platform, right? You had this giant pivot. Then in the new direction, you know, we probably had one or two instances where we've had to throw away, I mean, months of work. Uh, and, you, and, you know, we might be on the, the, the cusp here of doing it again. But, but this is what being innovative is all about, right? It's, there's no roadmap. There's no manual or documentation that says this is how you do something. There is, okay, no one's done it. How do we get it done? Let's try this. And sometimes trying this is months of effort. Um, okay, we got it to a point where now we can effectively test it. Let's test it. Oh, and I, okay, I was about to say a bad word. So, oh, crap. Um, it doesn't work. Caught myself. Um, it doesn't work. We have to throw it out, right? It's like, do you settle for something or do you stay true to what you really want to build and spend the months and months and months? And this is, but again, this comes back to it all full circle, making sure that we can manage people's feelings and like manage the culture and people aren't getting burned out. We can manage our burn and not run out of money. And so it's just that constant process. Yeah. And, and it, it, it's iterative. I mean, like we're, we're about to switch to our third cloud provider since I came on um, just because, you know, it, it, the initial one, which was Azure, um, which I will always, always support. I, I am Azure till I die. Um, you know, it just, it, it didn't fit our needs. Like it, it was, it was too robust a platform. It, it's for enterprise, it's for corporate, it's for doing a lot of stuff. And, and so we, we made the adjustment to AWS because like, frankly, I'm willing to admit AWS is, is a much better platform if you're doing a thing. And as we've grown and developed, we found that we're no longer just doing a thing. We're, we're building new backend technology. We're building new front-end engagements. We're, we're building these new um, user experience pathways and, and acquisition funnels. And, and AWS just isn't serving that anymore. And, and so, like, there's these moments where we're sitting there going, okay, now we're going to have to rebuild everything again. But when we do that, it's going to put us in a better position in the long run. It just is a little bit frustrating sometimes to be told like, oh, hey, you know all this stuff we've been doing? We're going to take a step back. But that step back enables us to take a leap forward. I mean, it's pretty special that you can't, like you said, can take a step back, that you're a team of 14 right now. Because I imagine those struggles are going to be completely different if you get to a team of 50 or a team of, you know, if you keep growing. And I think most corporations, that's their biggest limitation is they can't take a step back or they can't just change direction. You know, they're not, they're more risk adverse, like we talked about even in the last one, but. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll be completely honest. Like I don't always understand every decision that's made on like when we're going to make one of those adjustments. I don't, I don't know every facet of that decision-making process. I think that some of these decisions do leave portions of our team scratching their heads going, I don't understand why we did that. Like now we're behind, I'm feeling a little disheartened. Um, but again, that comes back to creating a situation where they feel comfortable telling us that so we can contextualize that information for them and get them a little more on board or make them a little bit more comfortable. Even after we have those discussions, I, I will admit, I'm, I'm sure we have people on our team that don't necessarily agree with them. Um, but thus far, we've been able to see success in those adjustments and, and eventually people understand and they, and they see the benefit. Um, you know, we just, we, we hope, you know, and, and I'll, I'll knock on, on, on my desk, 
um, I hope that that trend continues where we're able to say like, okay, we, we didn't make this, we didn't make this decision lightly. We understand your confusion, but, but here's why it's better. Right. Awesome. Well, you guys, we want to make sure that everybody knows what's going on with you guys, how to get in touch with you guys, how to follow you guys, what's next. So spend the next few minutes and just kind of tell us, you know, what you would want to kind of tell everybody else so that they can follow you so that they can get in on the beta before it's too late. Um, any other speaking engagements, any other opportunities where they can learn more about your story and get to meet you guys. Sure. Um, just from a, from a high level side of things, um, we are on Twitter, uh, at quest app, K W E S T A P P. Um, we are also on Facebook at the same, um, we're, uh, in the process of rolling out our home demo, which you can find at quest.app slash demo. You can find links to both the Android and iOS installation packages. Um, we also have, um, just our standard website quest.app. Um, and if you join our beta experience in March, um, and you play through the, the, the demo and you give us feedback um, in our official feedback survey, which you'll, you'll get a link to when you sign up, um, you're actually entered to win uh, a free HTC V VR headset um, that uh, somebody very graciously uh, arranged for us to get access to and give away to encourage people to engage. Um, and and uh, so that's that's the basics. Uh, I myself can be found on Twitter at yes, that M Gibson. Um, if people want to reach out to me directly there. Um, and then, uh, Omid, do you want to pick up you and anything I may have forgotten? I think you nailed most of it. So from, from a market or consumer facing standpoint, I would definitely say, you know, biggest call to action, please, please, please test out the demo, be as candid as possible. Tell us if you hate it. Yeah. Like really, there are no sacred cows. (laughs) Yeah. I I think the, the, the more candid feedback we get, the better because Michael mentioned, this is an iterative journey for us. We're learning, we're growing, we want to change and we want to listen to that feedback. Um, you know, outside of that, you know, my, I'm, I'm happy to give, you know, if anyone wants to reach out to me directly, um, I mean, I can share my personal email. So it's just omed at quest.app. So that's O-M-E-D at quest.app. Feel free to reach out. I'm, I'm happy to, I love having conversations with other founders, entrepreneurs, sharing more stories. Um, yeah, so anyone. Awesome. Twitter is always the best place to reach me. So don't worry about my email. All over Twitter. <laughs> got it. Yep. Well, you guys, we appreciate it. We will have all of that in the show notes so that everybody can follow you guys. Um, and we will make sure to direct any comments to you guys as it pertains to any customer feedback, anything on the beta, all of that good stuff. And we will make sure to pump you guys out as much as we possibly can. Um, and thank you guys so much again for joining us today. Thanks for having us. This was really fun. Heck yeah. Come up to Traverse City and I'll take you out for a beer at Terra Firma. Yay! <laughs> Absolutely, it's on me. <laughs> oh, me, me and you, Deep Ellum today, we're there. <laughs> as long as it's gluten-free beer, I'm good. So I'm in. Yeah, I'm that guy. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> okay, you guys, thanks so much. Thank you to everyone for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe on iTunes or Google Podcasts. Also, if you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on Delivering Extra, we'd love to hear from you. Just email David or Nicole at thelandyapgroup.com. You can also submit any questions or comments by following us on Instagram at thelandyapgroup or emailing us directly. Thank you again for listening to Delivering Extra. Join us next time as we chat with Nick Hughes of Founders Live. Founders Live is an unforgettable happy hour competition where five hand-picked companies take the hot seat with only 99 seconds to pitch their company and describe their value proposition, and the crowd votes on the winner. 
Until then, remember, every post, every tweet, every like, every email, every call, every engagement is a reflection of your brand. Are you going above and beyond and showing your customers how much they mean to you? Make sure you're always delivering extra, period.